Hello, welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Revlick, and thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. Now, from time to time, we talk to people that do stuff that is kind of more mainstream and uh, in your face, whether it be the politicians and accountants and and whatever have you. But we're going to be looking at at a bit of a niche area today, a space called maritime law. Actually, quite a bit of fun when you think about it. It sounds strong, but it's not that. It's not going to be dry when you hear our guest today. Alison Cusack has been doing maritime law for some time. She's got her own firm. And not only that, uh, she's got a few stories to tell about how, uh, you know, the sort of challenges you have when you're running a practice in dealing with that particular space. Alison, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I always uh, love talking about shipping law. And, oh, wonderful. Before we dive into before we dive into the niche space you play in, um, how would you describe your career uh, as an elevator pitch to somebody you'd never met you before? Uh, I would probably say I spent. Six years working as an in-house lawyer for an international carrier and got my feet wet on the international billionaire company scene and then decided to switch sides for the little guys uh, and look after the cargo interests, which I've been doing for just under five years now. And in between all of that, I do a lot of work in the gender advocacy space and also for seafarer welfare. Okay. So how did you get? How do you get into the maritime law space? That requires me to confess my uh, intense nerdery at law school. So when I was doing my law degree at Vic Uni, uh, as most other law students can attest, you do eat every extracurricular possible. So for me, that was mooting, which is fake law court. You get a problem, you get up, you have a plaintiff or respondent, and you argue it out like you're in real court. And I had done all the competitions and another one came up and it was called IMLAM, the International um, Maritime Arbitration Law Moot. And the um, professor said, if you want to learn it yourself over the summer holidays, you can be in the team. And I said, absolutely. Why wouldn't I? Another chance to get on my feet. And so over the course of a summer, I learned all about uh, maritime for the purposes of the problem. And uh, we didn't make the finals, which still irks me to this day. <laughs> so once I found out about maritime law, because no undergraduate course in Victoria actually teaches maritime law, which I hope someone will change because uh, I'm available to teach. Um, and <laughs> as soon as I came across, nothing like a quick pitch. As soon as I came across it, I was hooked. I was hooked immediately because um, I had actually done half of an electrical engineering degree, uh, which is all in the nano, 10 to the negative nine, very invisible to the naked eye. And then you go into law and talk about <laughs> contracts and you talk about IP and you talk about currency and all these kind of ethereal concepts that you can't, they're not tangible, right? Like, yes, you can touch money, but the concept behind money is confidence, right? So then you get to shipping and you're like this very, very big ship, not a boat, a ship, crashes into this wharf and all of these containers fall off and we can see the damage. And I was like, this is great. You can 
you can see it, you can touch it, you get photos. This is just really cool. You know what I mean? It's it's the biggest thing possible. Um, and I'd come from the smallest thing possible. And I was like, yes, I wanna I wanna work in the I wanna be dwarfed by my subject matter. Um, so once I found out about maritime law, I was hooked. There was there was no there was no swaying me from that path, even though some practitioners kindly advised me of how niche a field it was. I was determined. How long has the firm been running? Uh, next month is five years, which is pretty incredible considering I started it from complete scratch. No clients, not much of a sort of visible client profile because I hadn't been in a law firm um, and just got out there and networked and went through a couple of successive lockdowns and here I am. It's been five years and there's five years of stories to tell and we've only got about 20 odd minutes. But <laughs> when you're, um, yeah, when you explain what you do to people, you know, I'm trying to explain to people what I did at, at, at professional accounting bodies because, yeah, at parties or barbecues, people will ask you and they go, what, what, what are you doing that for? Didn't you get a degree in journalism? That's always a fun conversation. I've had you explain the domain of maritime law to, to somebody who knows nothing about it. Well, most people don't know anything about maritime law, um, which I'm working very hard to change. Uh, at the start, it was a lot of questions about pirates, um, which was a little bit of fun, depending on how much alcohol had been consumed. Um, you know, they couldn't necessarily tell if you were telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, then um, for all the, you know, local Victorians, it was... Um, you know, the containers down Footscray Road and all those Lego boxes stacked on top of it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, to which people still said, no, we bring everything in by airplane, don't we? And I said, I guarantee you the barbecues at Bunnings are not coming in by airplane. It'd be horrendously expensive. And then luckily for me uh, in the industry in some ways, a very, very large ship called the Ever Given got stuck in the Suez Canal and made worldwide headlines. And we get to say... You know the ship that got stuck in the sewers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Austin Powers meme. Yes, that's the one. The containers on those ships, anything in a container, that's what I handle. And the other way I'd explain it is anything you see on the shelves when you walk into a store, whether it's Kmart, Woolies, Big W, any of that, most likely it's been imported. That's That's the kind of stuff that I work with. When one of the challenges in dealing with this stuff always is um, looking at the complexity not only of one jurisdiction but of another. I mean, it's, the world's complex enough when you're dealing with legal matters within Australian borders. Right? Yes. What some of the hairier areas that do your head in when you're looking at the legal landscape and there's one thing transposed upon another like a teenager's pile of clothing in the corner of a bedroom <laughs> precariously toppled onto the chair um it doesn't there's that too. 
it doesn't do my head in. I just sort of watch the client's head quietly explode when I'm when I'm walking them through this because to me, to me it makes a lot of sense. And so for me, it's very well worn, like, yeah, you take two steps to the left and then you do a half a spin and then a jump and kind of like Indiana Jones, you know, weaving his way to the to the chalice, you know, um, to, to go through all those things. And he, but he's got the book, right? To tell him it's got all the notes to tell him the secret pathway. So for me, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's if it's cargo to um to from or through the US, the US Carriage of Goods by Sea Act, US COGSA just automatically applies. That's that's the that's the um power the US has. It's like boom, we will apply. But then if it's outward bound cargo from Australia, you have um, Australian COGSA mandatorily apply, but not if it's inward bound. And then you have the jurisdiction clauses in the freight forwarders terms and conditions, and that might apply to the what we call ultimate consignee or ultimate shipper. <laughs> and then you've got the carrier's contract of carriage, which is their bill of lading. And then there you go, well, if it's US to from or through, then US courts will apply, but otherwise it's London. But if it's under $30,000, we'll be in the London small claims arbitration, you know, fast track process. But if it's anywhere from, you know, $30,000 to $200,000, no currency specified, mind you, we'll go off to um, Singapore arbitration. But if it's more than that, we might go off to Paris. And you're going, thanks for the um, choose your own adventure clauses that we have. Um, and then on top of that, you've got international conventions, which mandatorily apply. So you just, you know, <laughs> start jotting down some notes and see, see where you went. And then you end up one place and then someone sues you and says, mm, you're in the wrong jurisdiction. Come, come play over here. And then you have a fight about where you should have your fight. And then everyone's going... <laughs> And going, we want to no, no. arbitrate we, we... Singapore. Well, you've got to come sue us in Germany. And where do we fight about where to find the, And the Australian courts are going, don't look at us. We've got no skin in this game. And you're like, but everything happened in Australia. And the Australian legislation says, mm, doesn't, don't care. Cool, cool story. You provided all the services in Australia, but, um, you know, freedom of contract. Let's go. That's just a standard day. That's a standard day. <laughs> now, um, if that's a standard day, Alison, what's a really weird one? I guess it's weird. It depends on classic lawyer answer. How do you define weird, Tom? Um, <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Uh, I'll, go, I'll go down the hallway and get my copy of the Macquarie. Um, <laughs> So weird, weird for me is when it's more of a logic confuddle. Do you know what I mean? When when weird is going, why why are they doing this? This doesn't track logically. This doesn't track contractually. This doesn't track um, from like custom. So there's a lot of things that go on in shipping that you won't find written down. But everyone goes, ah, oh, yeah, 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 of course. That's and, and the newbies in the industry are going, sorry, what now? And you're like, mm, that's okay, you'll catch up. So for me, if it gets weird, my thing is, okay, who's withholding information? What is, who is not telling me what? And I always say to my client, tell me everything, tell me now, 
Um, because, and my clients know this, I always assume my clients are lying for one of two reasons or everyone's lying, honestly, for one of two reasons. One, um, they think that it's correct um, because they don't understand or they're parroting something someone else has told them and they're just repeating it verbatim without, you know, interrogating or understanding. So it's never, it's really a deliberate lie, but they believe it to be the case. And then you look at the documents and go, ah, uh, no. And then you have to do a re-education piece with your clients. Um, but the threshold to entry into the shipping industry in some parts of it is incredibly scarily low. Like you don't need qualifications to become a freight forwarder in the sense of government approval or, or you know what I mean? So it's, um, but yeah, weird, weird for me is when I'm like, why, why are they saying that? What are they doing? But otherwise, um, if it's weird fun, it's normally the cargo commodity type. There's uh-huh. been, <laughs> there has been some very interesting commodity types, one-off art pieces. I think my favorite was a diplomatic container. So you know how they have diplomatic pouches that, you know, you go, well, you can't see in that and I'll put whatever I want. It could be jewels. It could be letters, whatever. It was a diplomatic container. And I said, well, I, I need to know what's in it. And they said, we won't tell you that. And I said, well, from a, from a safety perspective, I actually do need to know that. And they said, no. And I said, can I ask you what's not in it? And they said, maybe. So then I had to rack my brains and think of every single question of what it couldn't be. So by default, I knew it was safe. And that was a very, that was a, that was a weird day to have something that was a diplomatic container. That was very entertaining. There's something that, um, and then listeners will know from my past discussions with accountants and, and others on this, but I've, I've um, you know, spent a bit of time with, in the accounting world uh, over the years. And then one of the things that, continually came up in interesting situations where you talk to accountants in practice or accountants in corporates is the phenomenon of um, the thing you see in front of you being an agreement or contract and then needing to ask whether there's anything else that links to it that completely turns the son of a bitch upside down. <laughs> I suspect you see a little bit of that. Oh, um, it's it's admirable that you assume we have contracts in the first place. Um, the shipping industry is not big on signing documents or oh. producing documents. Um, no, not even sort of you know, some prints yeah. or prints like or, or whatever. Um, we're, we're very big on um, handshakes, um, scribbles on the back of a, you know, slightly damp uh, napkin from the bar. Um, so there's this concept in... Handshakes. Uh, hold on. Before you do that, can I just take something with my phone just in case? <laughs> <laughs> I know the lawyers, the lawyers are such killjoys. We're like, put it in writing, put it in writing, and then you see, and you're like, not that. Um, are, you, are you confessing to be a killjoy now? Are you? Oh, 
depends, you know, just because I don't want my clients to go to jail for cartelling, um, you know, I'm I'm a bad guy. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I want to save you from a hundred million dollar fine. I know, terrible of me. God, I can't do anything fun. Um, so there's a there's a concept in law called bailment. So, you know, when you drop your clothes off to the dry cleaner and you know, then you get a ticket and you go back and you pick it up. So the thing is, bailment is really phasing out in the commercial sense. You know, that's a very like business to consumer. And bailment's phasing out to the point that I didn't even really teach it when I was teaching it, um, the business and company law subject that I taught, except for the fact that shipping is accidentally bringing it back because bailment is a tort where you have goods in your custody, care or control, but no contractual sort of basis for it. Otherwise, it'd be, you know, contractual bailment. Because freight, and I've been educating the freight forwarders on this and the industry, because the freight forwarders are like, oh, we'll just, you know, get business done. We'll worry about the paperwork later, we'll get the business done now. The def- Because there's no contracts, bailment is the de facto legal mechanism when you have a claim. And so all of a sudden, running these cases for bailment when it should be contracts and I'm thinking how is shipping single-handedly bringing back a near dormant um legal concept that was really better off in the 1900s and I'm thinking this is classic shipping we like to be we like to be sort of almost outside the not the law but the law norms because a lot of concepts are like, yeah, yeah, that's that's construction of contract, but that doesn't really apply to us. So, anyways, we just power again the customs. Now, when some people think about shipping, they think about um, you know things like piracy. They've probably seen one or two, one or two of the you know Pirates of the Caribbean movies and whatever have you yes to what extent to what extent do you see um the impact of that kind of activity through your practice through your practice does a lot of that come through in terms of piracy for me no the the only um so if a if a group of pirates were to seize control of a vessel it's normally Typical regions is sort of Somalia, Horn of Africa um, is your sort of typical regions that the um, owners of vessels will say, we don't want you to transit through these areas or hot zones unless you've got extra um, piracy um, countermeasures and and premiums that, of course, go with that because everything has a price tag attached. The only time um, I would get involved is if it impacted on the cargo um, and so if a pirate group had seized control of a vessel and, say, negotiated a ransom, and they do negotiate, it's quite wild. They don't just say, give me a million, you know, $100 million or else. They're like, I want $100 billion. And the insurance clubs, the P&I clubs go, all right, we'll get the negotiator on the phone. Okay, how about $20 million? Like, mm, how about, you know, and they just negotiate it down like it's a commercial contract. And then they pay it out. But in that case, um, this very, very ancient concept, which I nerdily absolutely adore called general average back from the 1600s um kicks in and general average it's most simplest is 
if we had to expend a heap of money known as extraordinary expenditure to successfully complete our maritime voyage or our maritime adventure, everyone who had an interest in that sailing successfully completing has to tip in. This means it's uncapped. It's one of the few concepts I've come across where you have uncapped liability. So if there's, you know, let's keep the math simple. We've got, you know, $10 million, $10 million ransom and 10 containers and we just ignore every other interest. You know, you do the maths on that. That's that's your container. That's your contribution. Please, we're going to hold your container until you kick it in. And that's why I'm such a big fan of insurance because there's so many classic marine adventure <laughs> things that can impact on you that you have to pay for that the the general freight forwarder or new entrant is like I've never heard of that I've never dealt with that you know they I don't want them to to um, learn by the school of hard knocks because that learn might come at the price of bankruptcy um, given given the, the figures involved so piracy really for me that's only when it kicks in because it's really welfare of seafarers and you know it's between the owner the charterer the P&I club Who's yeah. under what? Who's who's paying the bill, and how are you recovering that? Um, piracy is it's not not it's not a bigger issue as one as people may think in terms of what's causing delays, what's causing impact on um, you know from a cargo perspective. It's it's you know people think theft is a huge problem. You know everyone's like oh there's theft down at the wharf. Theft's not the reason things cost more. There's, there's such minor amounts of theft from what people perceive it to be. It's like 1% last time I looked at it. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not this huge scandalous um, you know, rot going on that, you know, one out of every 10 containers is getting, getting a little slice taken off it. Now, um, working in this space, in any space, whether it be law or accounting or whatever have you, working in any niche space can be um, quite exhausting. What do you do to sort of switch off? Um, it, that's, it's a, that's a start. <laughs> Switching off. Sorry, what? what's that? What's that concept? Um, <laughs> that was a really hard thing when I first started my career because I worked for an ocean carrier and the ships go 24-7, 365. Yeah. And, you know, you, you hear your, your work phone buzzing a bunch and you're like, oh, no, that's a lot of emails, which means something's gone horribly wrong. And so, you know, for the first part of my career, I didn't, I didn't want to switch off because it was so exciting because I just wanted to learn. Um, now I sw- – <laughs> You're going to love. So I switch off by watching really trashy, um, like cop shows. Um, and the funny part about that is they end up chasing someone into the docks, into a container yard. <laughs> I'm there watching this scene going, do you not understand the insurance implications of what's happening right now? You got like, you just can't walk into a wharf. You need a, you know, you need an MC card that, you know, and then, and then my brain kicks back in again. Now you you reminded me of a movie movie going experience I completely wrecked for myself back in the nineties when the original Jurassic Park movie came out. I walked in and I had my philosophy type hat on, thinking 
Oh my goodness, this is what sort of mucking around with genetics ends up doing. This is the biggest argument against it. I sort of walked out of watching the original Jurassic Park movie and I had to watch it a second time at some point to actually sit down and actually enjoy it more. Just switch your brain off and enjoy. Have fun. I (laughs) ruined the A-team for myself, the reboot of the A-team, because at the end, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't gotten around to it, um, you know, at the end they're at the port and they have these huge stacks of containers and they're, they're moving them around. And I'm thinking... In what universe, like, what access to documents do you have? Because I want access to that technology because you seem to know more what's in these containers than the actual people running them do. Secondly, you know, these containers are falling off and I'm thinking, who lashed that? What kind of poor crappy lashing job have you done that the containers are not falling as a complete stack? And then finally, I'm looking at it going... You know, I started looking at the final end scene, not for like, oh, you know, and they they bested the corrupt CIA or whatever. I was like, oh, my God, where would I even begin for like disaster recovery on this port with these containers, you know, skewed everywhere and all this law enforcement? And all I was thinking is, can you imagine the delays, the insurance claims? It's going to be a goddamn nightmare because I couldn't. I couldn't watch it without thinking about if I was the lawyer involved in that, how painful it would be. And I was like, oh, no, I've gone too far. Well, but, uh, I, um, I, uh, for my sins, I opened my mouth a bit too wide once when I was in one of the two professional bodies I've worked at. And um, I suggested the guys have fun with the tax problem, and that is... Uh, what would the tax profile be for, you know, Tony Stark and Bruce Wayne? <laughs> yeah, but that sounds like fun to like work out what's through the company and what's tax. They, 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 they looked at me and they they, they sort of that, that that conversation lasted for five minutes and they decided to go up and do the serious stuff like. Here we are, but the latest superannuation update is, and I thought it'd be really fascinating to sort of muck around and. Have a bit of a think but, about that. Well, there was a case of sheep rustling uh, recently in Victoria, and I was speaking to a colleague who had also worked in the primary industry space because as a shipping and transport lawyer, you do work with people who cart stock horses and brumbies and sheep and, you know, from, from auction yards. And I was speaking to them about how you would successfully rustle, you know, pull off a sheep rustling endeavor we <laughs> work through all the mechanics about how many years you would have to plan this and all of the spin-offs and then it turned into sort of like how could you how could you sell the sheep but also at the same time you know funnel funnel all this money through the mafia and we're like okay we need to stop now we need to stop we're starting to plan we're starting to plan a three-year heist of <laughs> 200 head of sheep but this is this is the thing the more you sort of see things and work through them it really helps when you do these desktop exercises every now and again, it really just keeps your brain sharp for what are they doing and why they're doing it and how are they doing it? And you sort of go, you start, you start sort of going, "Mm, no, I see how this came about. I see how this came about and where do I need to intervene? Um, Because the shipping industry is very much the wild West and she'll be right. Give it a crack. How hard can it be? And that's where you get the weird, what were you thinking? 
How did it get this far? Why did no one stop you? Why were there no controls to stop you? Um, and then that's when you get these mind-boggling. <laughs> something comes across your desk and you're like, oh my god, I don't, I don't know if I want to know that this exists. And that's and that's why I'm a big believer in never trust large companies are doing the right thing just because they're large. I have seen I've seen how the Swiss cheese holes line up and something sails right through to disaster. Well, there we are. I've been talking to Alison Cusack from Cusack & Co. That's her firm. Um, about a whole range of things, principally maritime law. Um, it's one of the few people who actually understands the stuff. Alison, if people wanted to read up on your firm, where do they go? So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Alison Cusack, or my website, which is cusackandco.com.au. Um, I'm also on Twitter, TikTok, just type in the shipping lawyer and you'll find me pretty soon. No worries. Um, thanks for joining me for, the, for this particular episode of the podcast. It's been a wonderful chat. Thanks for having me.